Um, our scripture reading this morning, we're going to read out of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, starting in verse 7. If you do not uh, know where to find that in scripture, there should be a black Bible in front of you. And you can find this text on page 965. 2 Corinthians 4, 7. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us but life in you. Lord, we come to you this morning recognizing that we are mere mortals. That there is nothing in us that merits your favor. There is nothing in us as human beings that make your gospel more glorious than it already is. We pray for your grace as we listen to the scriptures preached this morning, that you would give us grace to hear it, to believe it with our whole hearts, that you would empower Pastor Toby to preach with clarity and conviction, full of the spirit and truth. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. It's not uncommon at various times in life to find yourself needing some extra cash. And at that point in time, uh, you may come to sell some things, but we no longer have to put up a sign at the end of the street hoping people drive by to come to our garage sales. We put things on Craigslist and eBay and Let Go and Facebook Marketplace and all kinds of, uh, all kinds of things like that. And in that spirit, being the father of uh, a college freshman uh, with another one to begin next year, um, extra cash sounds pretty good, although it probably wouldn't be extra at this point. Um, so since I have you here and you're a captive audience, let me show you what I'm selling. It's a Ziploc bag. Actually, it is a Boulder reclosable sandwich bag from Aldi. Now normally you can buy a hundred of these for a dollar and 89 cents. So they're just under two cents a piece. 
It holds all kinds of things. Not just sandwiches. It'll hold your carrot sticks. It'll hold your cookies. It'll hold random puzzle pieces. It'll even hold your jewelry. It can be an ice pack, and it can be a water balloon. It can be so, so many things. And in the spirit of needing some extra cash, I am willing to part with this sandwich bag. I have a whole box of them for $50 a piece. <laughs> I don't know why you're laughing. I thought we'd just take bids. We just, we'd have a little auction this morning. Do you think I could get anybody to buy one of these for $50? I think most people would rather carry the stuff in their hands than pay $50 for this. Well, why not? This is not worth it, is it? It's disposable. It's commonplace. If it rips, you just throw it away and you get another one. Right? You see, this sandwich bag is actually... Uh, the rough equivalent in the 21st century of what the clay pot was in the first century. It was used to store water or olive oil or wine or grain, maybe even something of value, but clay pots were very commonplace. Every archaeological dig finds bits of clay pots because they were everywhere. Everywhere. Kent Hughes writes, earthenware jars were an anonymous part of everyday living as they were used for cooking and eating and drinking and storing leftovers. No one took note of clay jars any more than we would a fast food container. It was no great tragedy when such vessels were broken. They were cheap and easy to replace. And as we come to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, these verses 7 to 12, this is precisely the image that Paul uses to describe himself and to describe us as Christians, as those who do gospel ministry, as those who would want to take the glorious and powerful gospel to the end of the street and to the ends of the, the earth. Paul says that we do it as breakable, anonymous, easy to replace jars of clay. So here's the idea that we'll see as we go through these 12 verses, that God displays his power in unexpected people. The Corinthians, you see at this time, expected that God would display his power best in powerful people. People who were particularly clever. They were experts in rhetoric. They were great speakers. They were the Ming vases of the day. That's who the Corinthians thought. The expensive, beautiful vase. That's where the real value is. You've got to get the star quarterback if you're going to have a great ministry. And Paul says, no. It's not what you expect. It's actually the water boys and the equipment managers. These are the people. They're just the common folk. They're the nobodies. Actually, they're the anybodies. God, uses, God displays his power in unexpected people. So let's just take a look at it. First, we'll see the power of the gospel in weak Christians. 
so Paul's continuing. As we get to verse 7, Paul's not starting in a vacuum. He's coming out of what he has just written about uh, his ministry, particularly the glory of the gospel as described in verses 4 and 6. At the end of those verses, this is what he says. He describes it as the light of the glory, the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is, who is the image of God. And then in verse 6, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And when it came to that glory, Paul said that Satan blinds people to it, and God opens their eyes to it. And then in verse 7, he calls this, this light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, this not light of the knowledge of the glory of Christ, of the glory of God in the face of Christ, he calls it a treasure. Now you would expect, if you're going to carry around a treasure, you would carry a treasure around in something that matches its worth. Some kind of treasure to hold the treasure. But that's not what he says. We have this treasure in jars of clay. Last Sunday, right after church, Susan and I took some of our children and went to Tennessee um, to visit my Mimi. And we got there, we visited her on Monday, and as we're there, the lady who's been helping her with all sorts of things comes to the house and tells us, to our surprise, because we had no idea, that this was my Mimi's last day in her home. That for various reasons she had to sell everything, including the house, and enter a nursing home. So, this was not expected. We came back Monday because the kids started school Tuesday, but I turned around and took a second trip to Tennessee leaving Wednesday because she was going to be in the hospital. I wanted to visit with her there. And also I had the opportunity to walk through the house to, uh, to be there one last time and to get a few keepsakes before the estate sale began. This made for quite a week. When I showed up this morning, I asked myself, how many weeks has it been since I've been here? Because it feels like longer than one week. And then I started thinking about all the things that I probably forgot this week just preparing for today. In fact, Friday night I realized I didn't go to the Friday lunchtime prayer meeting today. That's when I realized I wasn't there, was Friday night. It wasn't even a conscious decision. It was just kind of, you know, you have those weeks where everything crowds uh, other stuff out. So anyway, I walked through the house, and my grandmother collected pigs. Mimi collected pigs. She had over 4,000 in her home between figurine, not real pigs, um, <clears throat> apart from me and my brother when we would visit, but uh, between figurines and toys and stuffed animals and paintings, she had amassed this incredible collection of pigs. And my pa, who died back in the spring, amongst, uh, in addition to being an incredible woodworker, was also a musician. And so uh, I found this little quartet of pig figurines playing instruments. And so I took, the, took that quartet of pigs to bring home for my keepsake. But do you know how I brought them home? I wrapped each one of them in a paper napkin and I put all four in one Ziploc bag. Why? 
because the container wasn't that important. It was just meant to get the treasure from one place to the next. We have this treasure in jars of clay. I mean, the jar may protect and preserve the treasure to a degree, but it's just a jar. It's fragile. It's common. So why has God set it up that way? Well, Paul tells us, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. It's not so much to highlight our weakness, though it does do that, Paul says it's not, it's not to show the great weakness in us, it's to show the great power in God. It's not to demean human beings. I mean, God made us in his image. He has redeemed us. This is not what this is about. What this is about is to put human beings in their proper perspective, which is as fragile and, quite frankly, replaceable. There is none of us who is not replaceable. I heard it said at a pastor's conference once, the messenger dies, but the message goes on. I mean, this is life. This is how it works. And so we have this treasure in jars of clay. Now listen, the, the treasure being in the jar of clay actually doesn't make the jar more powerful or more valuable any more than pig figurines that are a treasure to me make napkins in a Ziploc bag any more valuable. It's still just a bag. You're still not going to pay $50 for it. Even though it held great treasure. And so as we think about our role in ministry and as we think about this idea of treasure in jars of clay, it's important that we avoid three pitfalls. There are a number of things we could say about this. But here's some pitfalls that I think are fairly common. One is, we have to avoid the pitfall of thinking that we are special and powerful and brilliant if we are actively involved in gospel ministry. In other words, we must avoid the pitfall of pride. To think that because I do this, because I preach at this pulpit every week, because I'm the pastor of Great Road Baptist Church, because you have the ministry that you have, because you teach that class, you lead that group, you have those gospel conversations, somehow I am just, I just have to be high up on God's people priority list. No. Paul put his arm around me and just say, Jars of clay, brother. Jars of clay. Second pitfall, in addition to pride, the second pitfall is actually to avoid the pitfall of thinking that we need to become special if we're going to be able to do gospel ministry. That we must become brilliant. That we must become something if we're going to be able to do it. This is the pitfall of inactivity. I mean, how many of us have been in the evangelism training course where the, where the teacher begins by saying, so, how, so what keeps you from sharing the gospel? Well, I just don't know what to say. I just don't know how I do it. And 
it can lead to inactivity so that we feel like I'm not really gifted with words. I'm not really, you know, a good, I can't make a good argument. I wonder if you can just read 1 Corinthians 15, 1 and 2. That Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And he was buried and he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. There you have your basic outline. The third pitfall is not pride or inactivity. The third pitfall is that thinking since we're all just jars of clay, the only thing that matters is that I can say the right words. All that matters is that I present the treasure accurately. doesn't matter how I live. This is the pitfall of corruption or apathy, really, towards sin. But elsewhere, Paul uses different imagery to talk about the fact that there are honorable vessels and there are dishonorable vessels. And he says in 2 Timothy 2, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. Friends, we are jars of clay. But we are to be honorable jars of clay. We're to be cleansed from anything that is dishonorable. God displays the power of the gospel in weak Christians. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that good news for you? If you've been paralyzed about sharing the gospel, that should be incredible news for you. About helping a young Christian grow, this should be incredible news for you. It's incredible news for us all. It's incredible news for me. The second thing we note as Paul goes on is the power of perseverance in suffering Christians. So we see this paradox of power and weakness go on in unexpected people here. Verses 8 and 9, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed. Now I wonder, when you describe a powerful person, do you use words like afflicted, perplexed, persecuted, struck down? These are not power words. These are not words you're going to be putting on your resume when you go looking for your next job. Yes, I'm just afflicted. I'm struck down all the time, terribly persecuted. I'm often perplexed about different situations. Uh, can I get a job? You just wouldn't do that. Afflicted is the same is the verb form of the word back in chapter 1, verse 8. We don't want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experience in Asia, that squeezing word, thlipsis. Paul's ministry has been marked by difficulties, by crowds pressing in against him from the outside. But he also says he's perplexed. In other words, troubles don't just bounce off the Apostle Paul as if he's got some kind of force field on him. These afflictions get to him. He struggles with discouragement. He's often at a loss. We've all been there. He says later in this, in this letter, in chapter 11, that he has the daily anxiety of his concern for the churches. It's all getting to him. I mean, if you've served anyone for any period of time, whether it's you just seeking to raise your children or whether it's in some other sphere, you've been there, you've been perplexed, you've been at a loss, you've faced discouragement. 
one commentator says, anyone who throws himself into the work of Christian ministry with half the dedication of Paul will experience the weakness of which Paul speaks, the times when problems seem insoluble, the times of weariness from sheer overwork, the times of depression when there seem to be no results. Afflicted, perplexed, he's also persecuted. All you have to do is read the book of Acts, right? And you'll see this. The opposition is constant. And he's struck down. Which is actually literally means to be whacked with some kind of weapon. This is where Paul is. All of these words are weakening words. They take the strong and make them weaker, break them down. But God gives the power to persevere. All of these contrasts, you notice the word but in the middle of all these phrases. These are actually emphatic contrast. So it should read more like this. We are afflicted in every way, but by no means crushed. Perplexed. But by no means driven to despair. Persecuted. But by no means forsaken. Struck down, but by no means destroyed. In other words, as others cause trouble for Paul, and as Paul is troubled within himself, the jar of clay cracked, but it didn't shatter. Why? Not because Paul held it together, but because God held Paul together. Not because he found strength in himself but because he went looking for strength outside himself in the Lord. Friends, this is true of all of us. When, when we're serving the Lord just in life itself, trouble comes from the outside, trouble comes from the inside because life is hard, because ministry is hard. But none of us, and none of us has the power to overcome that, to just persevere within ourselves. But we will persevere. Why? Because God preserves us. Because his power is at work in us. We work out our own salvation because he's at work in us to will and to do his good purpose. He started this good work and he will finish it. We will get to the end. Sometimes all we're wanting is to get to the end of the day. And we will. Because we are being kept, Peter writes. Kept by God. But also consider this, that if there's, just imagine if I had a clay pot. I mean, this is much more readily available. There's this Ziploc bag in my house than a clay pot that I can just crack open for you. Um, but imagine a, a clay pot that has, that has treasure inside and a piece is missing because it's been cracked a couple of times. What happens then? Do you know what happens? You can actually see the treasure inside. Isn't it true, friends, that as life cracks us from without and from within, trials, opposition, discouragement, whatever, and as God's power sustains us to persevere by faith, to walk by faith, friends, here's what is true. The treasure of Christ will be all the more evident in our lives. You are never more like Jesus than when you are suffering faithfully. And it is
is never more evident that you are like Jesus than when you are suffering faithfully. And you refuse to throw in the towel, not because you have such great willpower, but because God has such sustaining power. You see, as we serve the Lord, as we do His work, while His power is at work in us, you know what happens? We may be squeezed, but we won't be squashed. We may be bewildered, but we're not going to be in utter despair. We may be pursued by men, but we won't be left by God. We may be knocked down, but we won't be knocked out. God's power for us to persevere is seen in suffering Christians. You know when you never have to tell somebody to keep going, to stay steady? You know when you never have to say it? When everything's going well. You never have to say it. Really, you just got a promotion? Wow, that's great. Wow, you're in, you're in, you're, wow your income doubled. Okay, all right. Uh, oh, and, you know, you're having another child. Fantastic. And... You're having no more difficulties with your neighbors. Okay, all right. And your marriage is just spot on. Fantastic. Well, keep it up, man. I mean, hang in there. You can do it. You made every shot in the game tonight? Well, just keep trying. Keep trying. You just don't have to do that. Perseverance is seen when there's opposition, when there's suffering, and that's where God's power is displayed. So the power of the gospel in weak Christians, the power of perseverance in suffering Christians, and then the power of life in dying Christians. And in one sense, this describes any person when he or she first comes to Jesus, doesn't it? I mean, we were dead in our trespasses and sins, hopeless and helpless, and in God's kindness, he sent Jesus to die for us so that by his death we're forgiven of sin, and he was raised from the dead on the third day, conquering death, and now gives life to all who come to him by faith. New life, eternal life. The power of life from God on display in those who were once dead. We sang it earlier, didn't we? Oh, the wonderful cross bids me come and die and find that I will truly live. Only those who take up their cross to follow Jesus, who lose their lives, will find it. Taking up your cross is not suffering a hardship. It is being in the posture of dying. And that's what happened when we come to Jesus. We die to ourselves. We die to our own way of life. We die to playing by our own rules, answering to only me, because that, that line of life only leads to eternal death. So we die to that and come to Jesus Christ, and he gives us life. So that what Paul says is, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And for anyone who is not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, the path of unbelief is the path that leads to death. 
path of repentance and faith is the only path that leads to life. And Jesus would say to you, die to that other way of life and come to me and I will give you rest for your soul. You can do that right where you sit. Right now. Forsake it in your heart. And know that Jesus died for your sin and was buried and rose again on the third day. And trust in him. And his blood shed will cleanse your sin. And his life of righteousness will be credited to you so that you can say, my righteousness is Jesus' life. My debt was paid by Jesus' death. My weary load was borne by him, and he alone can give me rest. That is a statement of faith. And if that's you, any of us who are Christians would love to talk to you about that more, and I would love to talk to you about it more after the service. But Paul talks about this paradox of life and death, not in coming to Christ, but in living for Christ and in serving Christ. So he says in verse 10, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also may, also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Now the word in verse 10 for death is a different word than the word for death in verse 11 and verse 12. The, the, the word for death in verse 10 is necrosis. If you watch medical dramas at all, or you're in the medical profession, you know what this is. It's the dying of body tissue. But it refers not so much to the state of being dead as to the process of dying. So what he, basic, what he literally says is, always carrying around in our body the dying of Jesus. He is constantly in a posture of dying. He says in Galatians 6, Far be it for me to boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. He's constantly dying, dying to himself. I mean, but his dying is not just figurative. His constant process of dying is actually quite literal. He says in Galatians 6 that he bears in his body the marks of Jesus. Paul was beaten and stoned and left for dead. His body literally bore the marks of persecution, as did the body of Jesus. And because he's constantly dying, figuratively and literally, he says, the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. The resurrection life is sustaining him and strengthening him and keeping him. It's on constant display. And this is by God's design. Look at what he says in verse 11. For we who live are always being given over. The Greek word is parabidomai. And, and Jesus uses this word very specifically when he talks to his disciples about what's coming. He says in Mark chapter 9, verse 31, the Son of Man is going to be delivered, there it is, into the hands of men and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise. Now the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. Well, who's going to deliver him into the hands of men? The Father is. That's what's behind everything. It is the Father's will to crush him. The Father sent the Son to die so that all who believe in him would not perish. The Father is behind this. 
It's not some mere happenstance of human tragedy. Remember what we read in Acts chapter 2, verse 23? It was by the Father's definite plan that Jesus was crucified. In fact, Peter says it was by God's definite plan that you killed him. <laughs> God the Father is behind it all. And Paul is handed over as well in the book of Acts, over and over again, isn't he? Suffering for the sake of the gospel. Well, who handed him over? Do you remember what the risen Christ said about Paul when he brought him to himself in his conversion? Do you remember what Jesus said? He said this, He is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. He's a chosen instrument of mine. That sounds great, doesn't it? That's great. He'll, he'll preach to the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Awesome. I'm going to show him how much he must suffer. What? And yet this is precisely what God ordained. And it's what God has continued to ordain through history, that by Christians following in the footsteps of Jesus, by being faithful to gospel ministry, by preaching the gospel in the face of suffering and suffering because of it, that God is taking the gospel to the ends of the world. That the life that the gospel brings is on display. Not only in them, but it's being spread. Just this past week, I watched a video from Voice of the Martyrs. I don't know if any of you saw it. It's about a Chinese pastor named Pastor Han, and he died to himself, risked his life in order to bring the gospel to North Koreans. So there was a story of a North Korean man whose family needed money, so he snuck across the border into China, and he was collecting mushrooms to sell. And Pastor Han, he didn't know he was Pastor Han, he was just a man, said, I'll help you sell those. So he sold them, and he gave them all the money. He didn't take any of it. And over time, he eventually, Pastor Han eventually shares the gospel with him, and he becomes a believer. And he says even uttering the word God is against the law. Pastor Han gives him a copy of the New Testament, which he has to hide everywhere he goes. And this kind of story happens over and over again, so that by the end of the video, it says that by, basically by God's grace, more than a thousand North Koreans came to faith and were discipled through Pastor Han. And on April 30th, 2016, he was assassinated by a North Korean hit squad. Pastor Han always carried the dying of Jesus in his body. And he was given over to death, and yet the life of Christ shined through him. I mean, if Voice of the Martyrs hadn't made a video about him, we'd never know who he was. He was just a common man. And by now, he's already been replaced doing that same work. But God used that dying clay pot to bring new life to a thousand men and women. And that's why Paul did what he did. Look at verse 12. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Isn't that weird? That should strike you as odd. Because in verse 10, 
He says, we're carrying around the death of Jesus in our body, so the life is manifested in us. Verse 11, death in us, life in us. Then verse 12, you expect him to say, so death is at work in us, but life is also at work in us. He doesn't say that. He says, death is at work in us, life in you. Because he knew that what Jesus said was true. Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Friends, we have to die to ourselves. We have to be willing to suffer because it glorifies Jesus. But also, God uses dying Christians, self-denying, risk-taking Christians to bring life to others. And I wonder if our evangelism is marked by that kind of self-denial. by a willingness to be ousted from wherever it is that you might be ousted. Dying to convenience, dying to self, dying to whatever it is so that the life of Jesus will be seen in us and spread through us. The power of, of life in dying Christians. God displays his power in unexpected people. In weak people, he displays the power of the gospel. In suffering people, he displays the power of perseverance. In dying people, he displays the power of life. We have this treasure the treasure of the gospel, the treasure of the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, the treasure of seeing the wonder and majesty and beauty of Jesus Christ, the treasure of knowing him, the treasure of being known by him, and the call to take this treasure to a world in spiritual poverty. We have this treasure as Paul did, and this treasure is in us as it was in Paul, so that our friends, as they hear the gospel, as they see our lives, their only conclusion can be, this is about something bigger than him. This is about something bigger than her. And it's true. The power is God's. The glory is God's. It's not ours. Are you convinced of that? Look. We're two-cent sandwich bags. And God uses two-cent sandwich bags. And only those who know their two-cent sandwich bags to take the treasure to the world. We have this treasure in jars of clay. Let's pray together. Our Father, we bow before you, recognizing that we are frail and weak and easily replaceable. We know that you have made us in your image and that this brings dignity to all human beings, and yet we recognize that we take no pride in ourselves. We must take no pride in ourselves. Give us grace so that we don't take pride in ourselves. We 
recognize that we were dead in our sin, that we are weak, we are suffering, we are dying people. And yet in people such as us, you display your great power. You place your treasure in jars of clay. Thank you for opening our eyes so we could see the beauty and wonder of Jesus Christ, so that we could come to him by faith, trusting in him as our Savior, so that our sin could be forgiven, so that we could be made right with you. Remind us over and over again that our lives are as they are in order to display your power, that the surpassing power of the gospel and of gospel ministry is in you and not in us. We pray that we will walk by faith as we suffer, so that while we may be afflicted and perplexed and persecuted and struck down, we will by no means be in utter despair. Knowing that we haven't been left by you, knowing that we won't finally be crushed, knowing that we won't finally be destroyed, but we will persevere because of your preserving power. And help us, Lord, to be those who willingly take up our cross daily and follow the Lord Jesus, who die to self, who walk about in a posture of dying, so that the life of Jesus might be on display in us, and the message of the life of Jesus in the gospel might be spread through us, so that death will be at work in us, but life in those around us. We thank you, Father, that we can boast in nothing but Jesus Christ. Give us grace that we will only boast in him. We pray all this in his mighty and matchless name. Amen. Amen.